so welcome back to the Al Dente podcast. Today we've got the whole 2022 publications team with me. So if you guys want to introduce yourselves. Hi, um, I'm Delina. I'm a BDS3 student this year and yeah, from Sydney. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm Ella. I'm in BDS2 and I'm from Adelaide. Yeah. Okay. And I'm Jing Yang. Um, I'm from BDS4, also from Adelaide. So we've got like a, today we'll be covering, we'll be discussing the ILA 1.6 on Alicia Jackson for all the BDS1 students. So we've got a range of the BDS uh, levels. And I think it'll be interesting to, I guess, compare and see our perspective on um, what we know about the ILA case. Um, so, but I guess just a disclaimer, so we're just students like you, so neither us nor the AEDSS uh, take responsibility or liability for the educational advice provided in this podcast. So please do your own research for the topics we discuss. Um, use of this information is strictly at your own risk. So um, we definitely don't know what we're talking about. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I wouldn't use the, the information that we speak about in the exams. Um, I wouldn't even use it for the ILAs. You know, just like a massive disclaimer. Um, it's really just like a, I guess, perspective. Um, but yeah, we don't know. We don't really know exactly what we're talking about. So yeah, okay. So I guess we'll get started. So Ella, do you want to present the um, Alicia Jackson ILA? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're now meeting your second patient, Alicia Jackson. Um, she's an eight and a half year old girl and she's come to attend your private dental clinic that you work at um, along with her mother, Dr. Epson, who's looking after her today. Um, so you start off with some background questions about her medical history, which is mostly unremarkable. It says that she's healthy and not taking any medications, so not too much to worry about there. Um, probably the most notable thing is that she did have her tonsils removed a few years ago when she was four. In terms of her dental history, um, you can see that she's had several large restorations placed, especially for her age. Um, she's also had fissure sealants, um, and she used to attend as a child... Um, a regularly a dentist who gave her oral health information and she's had topical fluoride information, sorry, topical fluoride application. Um, she's independently responsible for her oral hygiene, so she brushes her own teeth and she's been doing that since she was six. In terms of her social history, she lives on a farm in a rural setting. Um, she lives with her mum, dad and two younger siblings and she's also looked after a lot by her grandmother. They only have access to rainwater on their farm, so they're not drinking tap water. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Awesome. Okay. So, Delina, do you want to discuss, like, the key issues for this case? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think first things first, we've got to address the chief concern, first of all. So, um, we can just go back to Alicia's mother's statement where she says that she's worried about her front teeth, uh, their position, and apparently they seem to stick out a bit and she's not quite sure how Alicia can eat and stuff. So, I think the main issue here is malocclusion. Um, talking about occlusion, um, I think like one of the most important things to note is that she's got a incisor classification of uh which is a class two division one um i think it's important to make the differentiation between a class two division one and a class two division two so talking about class two in general 
that's just basically where the mesial buccal cusp of the maxillary first molar is kind of in between the first mandibular molar and the mandibular second premolar. Um, and if you want to divide that further, we've got a division one and division two. So the division one is where um, your maxillary anterior teeth kind of protrude out a bit. So you've got a bit of a large overjet, but the division two is where your maxillary incisors are a bit retroclined. So instead of a large overjet, you've got more of a deep overbite. So yeah, just keeping those differences in mind. Um, I think it's also important to note if her stage of dental development is normal or is it slow or advanced um, and especially why we're so concerned about this. So I'm going to say it's slightly slow. I mean, I think I'm seeing her primary fives still there. Is that right, guys? Mm, hold on. <laughs> primary fives. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, but I'm pretty sure children, especially if they're, oh, she's eight and a half. So, I'm thinking this is about normal. I think by I think by nine, between nine and eleven. Um, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure between nine and eleven, you should have all your permanent teeth out. Um, but since she's eight and a half, um, I think it's just one of her primary teeth are there. So we should be fine with that. And it's also really important because I think, you know, if you have any uh, permanent teeth that aren't out at the right time, that can kind of like point to maybe underlying factors like medical or developmental issues. And also um, uh, the dentist might want to investigate this further and see if and maybe this can have an impact on the future use of your dentition, like your mastication, speaking, aesthetics, and et cetera. Uh, I think it's also important to note that she's got incompetent lips and also relatively dry lips. So maybe question into whether she's a mouth breather, possibly, or maybe ask about how much water she drinks. So, yeah, just something to take note about. Um, yeah, um, just referring to some guidelines and numbers uh four to eight year olds should drink about five cups so approximately a liter per day so yeah that's just something to question her about um another key issue would be fluoride so ella did mention before that they only have rainwater at home so um there's no fluoridated water so maybe fluoride access may be a bit of a concern um and but she did state that I think she uses fluoride toothpaste, but um, we're also not sure how much or how often and the technique she uses it with. So that's something to question about further. And her diet, we've only got information that she eats quite a bit of apples. So it's also important to know the implications of this and the components of apples, like the fiber content, sugar content, etc. And yeah, that's pretty much all the key issues. Anything else to add, guys? Yeah, so basically, I think what's important to note um, with this case is that she's got quite a bit of an overjet, um, which kind of ties in to her chief concern. Personally, I think she's got a bit of anterior open bite. It's hard to say from the image. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I guess if we go back to, so that's why I think it's important to think, oh, okay, 
um, is she a mouth breather? Because sometimes when you are a mouth breather, when you um, and she has the dry lips to, I guess, maybe indicate that that can actually cause a bit of anterior open bite. Um, with regards to her dental development, I think it's quite normal. Um, usually, um, like patients will get their sevens erupting at like 12. And so those primary um, Ds, like, oh no, those Es, um, it's normal for them to be there until the fives erupt, which is like 12 years old. Um, so I think dental development is fine. Um, I think it's important if, um, I was told when we see patients that are around nine, eight years old to just palpate where we think the threes will be because sometimes they can uh, erupt at a weird place and it's important just to make sure that they're there. Um, so that's important um, with regards to also the fluoride. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. With regards to the pH content, I should look this up. There's like this university that – Apparently, the pH of apples is like 3.3, which is kind of concerning. But <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it might be okay because if she's eating apples, I imagine, I imagine that she'd have quite a bit of saliva. Her saliva looks watery and, and not like frothy or anything, so it looks okay. doesn't look like there's a lot of erosion, but I think, yeah, definitely the sugar content in the apples is um, worth thinking about. Um, other issues would be, uh, um, yeah, I think infrequent visits. Yeah. Some other small issues like, um, how much oral hygiene instruction was provided last time and whether she retains that, um, because she's had a lot of restorations. I mean, it's not, it's not particularly like, I think, um, once you start seeing kids, you'll see a lot of kids with stainless steel crowns which are just like metal caps on their teeth and that's quite normal um and then infrequent visits yeah i think that's something to note because in the ila it says that she's supposed to be on a 12 month recall but she only goes every two years now um the inflamed gingiva i think is that around the where did i see where is that from that could just be maybe like I don't know the quality of the pictures, maybe the contrast, making it look mm. a bit darker than it should be. Mm. But I mean, just judging from the photo, it looks that way. But um, clinically, it could look otherwise, probably. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say from these images. And that could just be because she's been responsible for her own oral hygiene um, and high caries risk. It's hard to say. We've actually got like a definition for caries risk at the, for there's low, medium, and high. So low is zero decay or demon. Um, medium is one decay or demon. And high is actually above one. But it's hard to say because um, we, don't have a, we don't have a hard tissue chart or x-rays. So it's hard to say what her decay risk. Okay. So I guess moving on, what further information we need is, first of all, medical history um, with regards to the tonsils, so being removed, whether there's any ongoing care and whether there were any issues after the tonsils being removed. Um, for medical history for kids, I, um, I just asked like the standard questions, but because they're children, it's also a good um, idea to ask whether there's any behavior concerns because um, um, sometimes, you know, 
patients like they might be on the autism spectrum and that becomes it's important to consider that when you're managing children um, and all whether they're up to date with immunizations that could give you a gauge with how good they are with needles um, as well as if there's any injury like trauma to the teeth or any trauma in general that would have caused the trauma to the teeth whether they're up to date with like tetanus in, in um, vaccines um, moving on to Further questions about her occlusion. So um, I guess just looking at the overjet and what looks like an open bite, um, whether she's had any history of sucking her thumb, has she ever had trauma to her teeth? Um, because I think I'll be discussing this later, but that's if you see that amount of overjet, it's like hmm, there is a bit of a risk, especially it would be worth asking whether she plays any sports um, and whether – because that could result in trauma of her maxillary incisors and whether her occlusion affects her diet and her overall well-being or speech right now, just to get a gauge of how urgent this is for Dr. Epson and Alicia. And maybe I guess to understand um, whether the malocclusion is genetic in origin might be worth asking whether any other family members have teeth or have had teeth like Alicia's. Yeah. So moving on to fluoride. Mm -hmm. um, so we know that Alicia brushes her teeth and her mother said that she uses a fluoride toothpaste, which is a good start. Um, it doesn't tell us how often she uses it, though. Um, so the frequency is very important in terms of getting those two exposures to fluoride per day for Alicia. Um, we also don't know what type of toothpaste she uses. So she could be using a children's toothpaste, which has a lower fluoride concentration versus um, an adult's toothpaste. Um, we also don't know about her siblings, so if they're using the same toothpaste, if they're brushing their teeth together. Um, how she spits out her toothpaste afterwards is also important. So um, a lot of kids rinse their mouths after they, after they brush. It's something that they're taught or um, something that they do naturally. The toothpaste tastes bad to them. Um, but then she's washing all the fluoride off her teeth, so that's going to be putting her at increased risk. Um, and the other aspect of fluoride to consider is the ingestive fluoride. So if she has ever lived somewhere um, with access to fluoridated water, particularly when she was very young, so when she was a baby, if um, maybe her family lived in the city for a while or they lived in a farm that did have access to water, like uh, mains water, then that would change her risk exposure i guess in terms of fluoride yeah absolutely and i think like it's it'll be good to check whether um because some kids actually like the taste of fluoride so they'll actually like swallow quite a lot of it um which is why you might see like the molar incisor hypomin um and like with regards so if alicia jackson i think she should be using adult toothpaste so if her younger siblings are also using it that might actually cause some hypomin um, which might be um, important to discuss with Dr. Epson. So we'll just take a quick break. So um, just a word from our sponsors now. Wright Evans Partners, the dental, accounting and finance specialists. Our people are here to assist you in every step of your career. Whether you're a student, dentist or business owner, we have the tools and the experience to see you succeed. Our dental graduate program provides you with a complimentary tax return or business activity statement and a financial health check to help you kickstart your career. Contact us today via our website, 
Facebook and Instagram or on 8208 4777 to start planning your financial future. WEP, with you every step of the way. Okay, so um, Delina, do you want to talk to us about the diet? Yeah, sure. So um, I think it's important to, okay, well, first of all, um, going back to the scenario, the only information we have about her diet is that um, I think they live on an apple farm. Um, so you can kind of get from that that she's eating some apples. So I think it's important to know how often does she eat it. Um, obviously, more apples means more exposure to the relatively um, low pH levels and high fructose. So that's important to know. Um, also, when does she eat them? So is it nighttime as like a midnight snack or is it like first thing in the morning before or after brushing her teeth? Um, it's also worthy knowing what form they're in. So whether it's fresh or dried or baked. So obviously the pH and other nutritional content can kind of change depending on how she consumes the apples. And I think also, does she do anything after eating the apples to make sure that her teeth are healthy? So is she rinsing her mouth with water? Is she brushing her teeth? And yeah, just her oral health hygiene um, routine in general. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, that's perfect. I really like how you actually added what form the, the apples are in because I guess sometimes with like dried apples, like it can be really sticky and it can be stuff yeah. that stays between the teeth. So that's a really great question. I didn't think of that one. Um, okay. Uh, okay. So moving on to radiographs, some more information that we need is when were her this isn't what the scenario is necessarily about. I think it's more about her occlusion. But if we just take a step back, if Alicia Jackson walked into a clinic, what would we be concerned about? Um, we would need her last, have a look at her last bite wings. Um, and bite wings are really important for kids. You actually need them for every recall. So for adults, it's every two years, right? Um, but for kids, depending on their recall stage, um, for high risk, it's six monthly. You would actually need bite wings at every recall. So this is really important for kids because they have smaller teeth with thinner enamel, thinner dentine, bigger pulp chambers, and the dentine tubules are actually a lot wider. So then the decay can travel a lot faster. Um, it's really important. We need bite wings before any, any like fissure sealant is done even. So bite wings for kids and x-rays is really important. Um, also, um, the kind of tying in on that, whether she has decay um, through looking at the bite wings, it would kind of indicate whether she's ready for ortho. So through they're really strict with whether patients are eligible for ortho. So I think you need to have your full permanent dentition. I don't think the eights count. Um, and then you have to have like no decay for 12 months, no demon even, which can be really tricky for kids. So um, yeah, they're very strict about decay and oral hygiene. Okay. So last, last part of the additional questions. So we just have some miscellaneous questions. Um, the first one is about her recall. So she was supposed to be seen once a year. Um, but she actually hasn't been to see the dentist in the past two years. So she's kind of moved to a 24 month recall. Um, so one of the key questions we need to be working out is why this is, um, it might have to do with her family living far away from the dentist. Maybe it's not convenient for them. 
Um, it may be that Alicia, as she growing, she's growing up, she might be having apprehensions about coming to the dentist. Um, she's not enthusiastic, so her parents are kind of putting it off as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something we need to get to the bottom too, because particularly if we are thinking that Alicia might be slightly higher risk, um, we probably want to move her back onto that 12-month recall, especially if she goes in for that orthodontic treatment that her mother is interested in. Um, she will need to be seen very regularly to have her braces adjusted and everything like that. Um, and the other thing we need to ask is what oral health education and information was given to her um, when she was younger and how well has that, I guess, been absorbed by Alicia? Um, we don't know, um, I guess, the the style that it was presented to her in, if it was child-friendly or not, because she would have been very young at this time. Um So we want to work out how much of that does she remember? Um, Is she still able to, for example, um, like model her brushing technique, um, use good brushing technique? Um, Does she understand a little bit about her own oral health um, and the things that influence that, like sugary foods, soft drinks? Um, Yeah. Do you have anything to add? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Because like, as it says in the scenario, Alicia Jackson's responsible for her own oral health now. So does she even remember what was said to her? Um, I mean, I don't think I would. So I think it'd be fair to assume that, yeah, um, that's really important to acknowledge. Yeah. Okay. So now I guess we'll go on to a bit of the causes of the occlusion. So I guess one thing with regards to the overjet, it could just be because her teeth anteriorly are quite crowded. Um, That could be one of the causes. Um, Another, as usual, like genetics. Um, And then also with regards to the tonsils being removed, that's actually interesting because if if she had large tonsils, that means that she couldn't breathe very well, like through her nose. So then she would have to resort to the mouth breathing, which could give her like such a um, growth, like cold, like hyperdivergent growth patterns. So that could mean that the mandible was rotated downwards and backwards, resulting in that um, interior open bite. Um, Also, thumb sucking could have caused that. And there's also um, sometimes, sometimes, um, some resources would say uh, like a tongue thrust could cause anterior open bite, but it is, it's a bit controversial because they're not sure whether that's an adaptation to the open bite or whether that actually causes the open bite. So that's, it's like not too sure right now. Um, and then also with regards to um, just how the teeth erupt, whether they were um, dilacerated, so the shape is really weird, or whether they're ankylosed, so then the teeth can't erupt further down, that could cause an anterior open bite. Um, yeah, there's lots of different factors to take into account. And it's difficult to say for some of these because we don't have x-rays. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of causes for anterior open bite. Um, so yeah, let's move on to fluoride. Um, so I guess we need to be thinking now about not just the fluoride that she has at home, but the professional application that we can do in the chair. Um, And I think part of the why, this is quite beneficial for somebody her age because it's not something that she has to take home and do herself. Um, It's something that we can, she'll leave the chair and she doesn't have to think about it. We can be sure that um, the fluoride exposure has occurred. Um, So we could be looking at using a a fluoride gel. 
at this stage in, I'm actually not sure, at this stage in Buddhist one, have they gone into the different fluorides? I honestly don't know. Um, I don't really remember. But um, I think with regards to, so there's two different types of, two main different types of fluoride, professional fluoride available. So there's fluoride gel, as you mentioned, and there's fluoride varnish. Um, for Alicia's age, she's eight and a half. We actually don't recommend fluoride gel for patients below or at 10 years old because they can actually swallow a lot of the fluoride gel. Um, so generally, um, unless if they're 11 or above, we do fluoride varnish. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably what I do for Alicia. Um, what about at home fluoride? Yeah. So, um, let's just start with Alicia, who's eight and a half years old. So if she's, it kind of depends on whether, well, this, this doesn't just apply to Alicia, but just to everyone, it kind of depends on whether you're a low carries risk or a high or a moderate or a high carries risk. Um, so say if Alicia is a low carrier's risk, then she should just be using like a standard fluoride toothpaste, so about 1,000 to 1,500 ppm. But say if she's like a moderate to high carrier's risk, then still use the same standard fluoride toothpaste, but probably brush more frequently than twice a day. That's something to consider. And um, in regards to her four-and-a-half-year-old sister, so if she's a low caries risk, um, that's probably a low fluoride toothpaste, so about 500 ppm. But if she's a moderate to high caries risk, then probably consider a standard fluoride toothpaste about, so the same that Alicia should be using, the 1,000 to 1,500 ppm. But um, probably use a pea-sized um Sorry, so for the low caries risk, use a pea-sized amount of that or just smear like standard toothpaste if you're what to high caries risk. Um, also for her two-year-old brother, um, that would be the same with um, Alicia's four-and-a-half-year-old sister. So a low fluoride toothpaste if he's a low caries risk, but if he's a moderate to high caries risk, then use the standard toothpaste, the 1,000 to 1,500 ppm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, like, generally if it's, like, they're low, low risk, then, yeah, pea-sized amount and um, spit don't rinse for all of these patients. Um, and then again, it's like dependent. Like if some kids, they don't like toothpaste or they just, they just don't understand how to um, take, like they just can't keep up with that. Then maybe you can address other stuff like dietary or like see them more regularly. It's really, um, it's just really flexible. I feel like in fourth and in third and fourth year, I've just learned that like, you just really need to like bring it all together. Um, so just it's not necessarily like, oh, if they have high risk, then we'll bump them up to adult toothpaste. It just really varies. But um, that definitely makes sense. Like if they are, they can definitely do um, use more um, fluoridated toothpaste or use it more often. Yeah. Okay. So um, moving on to the significance of Alicia Jackson's occlusion. So as discussed before, she's a class two div one malocclusion. So this actually, um, I touched on this before, but this gives her quite a big of a trauma risk to those maxillary incisors, which are permanent teeth. And her overjet, I would say it's like, 
mm, maybe like six millimeters. But so if an overjet is three to six millimeters, it doubles the risk of trauma compared to zero to three millimeters. So normal overjet teeth. And that triples once it's above six millimeters. Um, interest, um, with regards to night guards with through that, I believe that they can only construct it once and it, they have to have all their permanent teeth in. So it's actually, it's, it's quite tricky to get mouth guards constructed. Hold on. I'll just double check what the, okay. Yeah. So once in a lifetime, they have to be playing like a high impact sport. Um, and they've only got like a clear color. Um, which is not obviously not a big deal, but anyway, they only get once, so and they need full permanent dentition. Um, but um, in the case that you see a kid patient and you're like a bit worried, you can get them to buy the Elastoplast brand. I think it's available at like Chemist Warehouse or a pharmacy. Get them to use the adult brand because it shrinks, um, so then it'll fit their um, children's mouth a bit easier. And the and the lighter colors are more pliable and more malleable than like the darker colors like black. So then they can like um, use warm water and kind of mold it to their mouth. So just a bit of like interesting side facts about um, more sad policies, I guess, with regards to this type of stuff. So management, I think, um, I really don't really know what I'm talking about, but I would probably take an OPG, panoramic uh, radiograph um with regards if it's not causing her that much like like um issues um i'm not sure if i would actually start treatment right now because i've heard that anterior open bite can actually relapse because she's still growing um so it could just continue to grow and get worse um that being said i think it's good to be to err on the safe side and just refer to an author just so that like Dr. Epson has peace of mind and understands what's going on. Um, so to do a referral for author, um, it's so you need the patient age, gender, and the reason that they visited you, whether any medical history, any previous dental treatment, any significant social history, you need the OPG, the carry status, um, oral hygiene, adherence, and periodontal status, and describe their occlusion. So for this case, it would be um, um, class 2 div 1. And that's about it. Um, sometimes they'll take what's called a latch, lateral, lateral cephalogram, which kind of shows um, on like a side view, and it will show the development of her draw. It will confirm whether she's got that hyperdivergent growth pattern. And looking at her cervical spines, it will show how far within her growth that she is but that's about it and then obviously like probably manage her decay and take take some bite wings you know um but yeah do you guys have any questions with regards to alicia jackson not really but um i think just something to know because you were talking about night guards and how they should be like malleable and stuff and it's probably i'm assuming it's because like she's still developing and she hasn't even got her um does it ease? She hasn't, she hasn't even got her ease out yet. So her dentition is still like in the process of like changing. So like, I think adult night guards are pretty like rigid and um, pretty hard, right? So that wouldn't really be suitable for her because her dentition is still growing. It's important to have something that's like malleable. Like 
and like not too rigid. So mm. yeah, yeah, I think it's just tricky. Um, but I mean, I haven't personally used the the um, the mouth guard before, so I'm not too sure. But I've been told that the lighter colors are a bit more malleable. Um, but th- again, that's up to like. Because it's something that the patient can take out, whether they wear it, it's like up to them. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure if any of you guys have had like um, orthodontic treatment with the retainers. Like if you can take it out, you might not adhere as much. Um, So ultimately it's up to um, Alicia whether she decides to wear them. Um, And if she doesn't even play sports or anything, it might not be something that we're particularly concerned about, but still, you know, let, let Dr. Epson know, because um, if you do have your maxillary incisors like um, um, fractured, that's pretty, that's pretty alarming, um, especially for any parent. Um, But yeah. So should we go through some of the questions that uh, the BS ones have and you guys, I've answered them a little bit, but I think Mm -hmm. it'd be good um, because you guys are really, you guys are closer to BDS1 than I am. So, um, yeah, should we go through the questions? Sure. Sounds good. Okay. okay. So, the first question is, how much do we need to study slash memorize from ILAs since they're pretty much basic processes? What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I would say it's not really so much about memorization. You're never going to be in an exam and they're like, so which teeth did Alicia Jackson have from each dentition? <laughs> um, I guess ILA is more about can you have a discussion about it with your peers or in the review session? Like, do you understand all the concepts that you've gone through? Because if you can, then you'll probably be able to apply those same concepts, which, like you said, they are a little bit simpler. They're not something that you need to memorize a set of processes, but if you can apply the same concepts to a different scenario that you're going to be given in the exam, then that's what's going to be tested, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything to add, Delina? Um, I don't know about this one, but I think a lot of the ILAs, the kind of the theory behind it is a lot of it's covered in lectures. I think ILA is more about just tying everything together and mm-hmm. applying it all to a scenario so that you know how to apply it and then you can do the same process of applying these theories to a scenario in the exam. But, um, yeah, and, but uh, yeah, I, like Ella said, it's more about understanding. Um, memorizing is what lectures are for, but, um, yeah, it's just tying everything together. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would, trying to avoid memorizing like there's some stuff you have to memorize for example like maybe embryology it's just a bit tough there are some things that you just need to memorize um but like i think um with regards to exams i would stray away from that because they can they will know if you're just giving like a um just something that you regurgitated like um for all the patients or if they're higher carriers risk then do this 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 but you need to think about, they'll give you all the information. You think about why they give you that information. If they tell you that, oh, Alicia doesn't like the taste of fluoride, are you going to be like, okay, Alicia, now use it three times because that's how, three times a day because that's how all high-risk patients should use. Like, no, don't do that. Like, so if you mean, if they mean like memorize in that sense, then I wouldn't do that. Um, yeah, absolutely just understanding the key concepts and the, and the learning outcomes which are given in all the ILAs. That's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. 
So next one, what's a good amount of time to dedicate each week to working on the ILAs? What do you guys reckon? I'm pretty sure every individual, every group kind of <laughs> does things differently. I mean, there's the groups with people who spend lots of time on it and then there's those who barely participate at all. It's mm-hmm. very um, group dependent and no one's, obviously no one's going to be checking up on you to see how much time you spend on it and stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean... It's, 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 a bit, it's a bit of a hard question. What do you guys think? Yeah. I don't even know how much time I spend on it. Maybe like <laughs> when, in a week when we're working on an ILA, I'll spend like a few hours on it. Yeah. yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say because there are they're like when you enter dental school, everyone is so different and everyone comes mm-hmm. from different levels of understanding dentistry and how they study as well. Um, like unofficially it says non-contact hours should be 22 hours a week, but they say it includes group meetings, group and individual learning, which I think are the gills preparation for ILAs, sim clinic, clinic workshops, tour activities, assignments and assessment. Like, I don't think like the assessment is never going to be like, okay, so how many hours did you spend on ILAs each week? It's like, it'll just be about what you produce and like, um, some people, they, they just need like an hour and they'll be really proficient, but some people, you know, need more and it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's probably about just knowing yourself mm. and whether you need those extra hours or not. And also I think like different people split up their time, like differently, like you might be the person who needs a lot of preparation for clinic or something, but maybe mm-hmm. lectures are something that are easy for you to absorb. It's just about um, trialing and experimenting and seeing what works for you or not, which is what first year is for. So just really spend that time and get to know like your study habits and methods before you get to the upper years and um, you don't have as much time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think like, I think, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know about you guys, but um, I think when I entered first year, I was like, wow, this is so different to anything that I've ever experienced. Like my learning strategy had to change completely Mm. and it was just like so different. Like, and I feel like I didn't have much time to actually understand what I was doing. Um, So first year was a bit frantic, but I think especially with, I guess now, I mean, COVID is like kind of, it's getting better. But hopefully take some time and just be honest with yourself and be like, how do I need to study this year? Because first year is not easy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because it's like your first year and you don't know what to expect. Mm. Like you don't know how like ILAs are usually run and stuff like that. So it's a bit, all a bit unfamiliar. And you're kind of rushing through things. Like as soon as you finish one thing, there's something else to do. And there's like a lot of catch up to, but It's just a matter of familiarizing yourself with how the courses run. And I guess it just gets better the more you know how things are run. So, yeah, and that that just comes with time, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, next question. How much detail is considered good? Some people write paragraphs and some just write three to four dot points. What do you guys reckon? (laughs) <laughs> well are you guys also like hmm, I don't know actually <laughs> I guess it, it's got to fit on your ILA document right so yeah. you can't write too much um, 
but you do have to answer the question pretty thoroughly. You have to consider it from different perspectives and be able to explain like the processes of why things happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you need, you need to be concise, but also detailed enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's important like to be, yeah, be really precise because sometimes like um, they might ask like, okay, um, say for example, oh, it's hard to say with this, picture but um maybe with local anesthetic they'll be like okay if you're doing a filling on three six what what type of la do you need to give you, and if you say inferior alveolar nerve block that's not necessarily com- like correct because they'll be like okay if you're working on three six you actually need to give a left hand side inferior alveolar nerve block you know so it's actually really important to be really precise i mean we're in the dental field you know we love the detail um it, give give the detail. I understand, like, I mean, maybe in exam conditions, it's hard to um, write everything um, and, you know, always consider how much time you have left um, and don't do too much waffle. Like the people, I think the people who market are just humans. Ultimately, they don't want to read like so much irrelevant stuff either. So it's, it's a hard question, but I would just say like, um, make, just show that you know what you're talking about. I don't know. I, that's probably not what they're looking for, the BDS ones, but I'm sorry. That's honestly the truth. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Delina? Um, I think also, like, especially if you're doing um, mind maps, you don't want to have two long paragraphs mm, that you kind true. of are forced to go down to, like, a size four oh, font yeah. or, like, you're taking over other people's, like, mind map areas because I know that's something my groups previously struggled with. Like, I think we had an eyelid like mind map where the size was like a, a five or a six or something. And it was just like tiny. And if you zoom in, like the, the pixels are just like, you can barely read anything. Like it was, it was really bad. Like just don't waffle too much, but okay. be concise, know what you need to write. And yeah. 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 If we're talking about mind maps, yeah, probably. I think they have like a requirement, like size 11 is the minimum. So yeah, um, I think some people just ignore it though, yeah. but try, try not to ignore it. Try to stick yeah. to the font. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just have the main ideas down and be able to elaborate and, and contribute in the ILAs. So then all the detail that you have that you know doesn't have to be written down on the mind map necessarily, but you can actually like verbalize it um, in the discussions. I would imagine it to be hard, like when you're reading like research articles or something to determine whether this is important information or not. Because I know, especially for me, like I'm reading something and I'm like, well, like, I, I don't, like, oh, it's it seems like such good information. I don't know if I should include it or not. So, yeah, it's, it's a really fine line, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like if, if you exclude it, it kind of feels like a, like yeah. it's a piece of your heart. Like, it's kind of, it's kind of like, especially I struggle so much with cutting down. Yeah. Like, what I used to do was, like, I would tend to, like, write heaps and then only after that I would cut down. But I think it's even more efficient if you just read and determine just right there and then whether you need it or not. Because, mm. I know, when I'm cutting, like personally, when I'm cutting down, mm. I feel like every time I delete something, like uh, like I'm, I'm deleting, like, I don't know, a piece of my heart or something. <laughs> like every, pre- every information is so precious. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I think, 
Yeah, I think when you are um, a student learning the ILA, it's hard because you don't understand the full context of it yet, which is kind of what I'm hoping to give out with these like podcast episodes. Now, now that I look back on Alicia Jackson, I'm like, okay, now I actually understand. Because I was like, I remember in first year, I'm like, okay, so if she eats apples, does that cause overjet or something? I was like so confused, you know, like I, I was really confused. Like, why does she have all these fillings done? And then like, what are the, there's that weird lump at the bottom? Um, right hand side what is that you know like you just get caught up in so many details but like I think it is it is really hard because you don't know what is relevant at that point um but yeah I don't know it's it, it is hard yeah okay so I guess that's the end um did you guys have anything to add before we wrap this episode up no not at all Okay. All right. Good luck with ILA. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with ILA, guys. Um, hopefully, this is helpful. Um, let me know if you guys have like any feedback or anything, or let your Europe know. Um, okay. So we'll um, end this episode off as usual. So we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the owners of the land we are privileged to record the Al Dente podcast on, the Ghana people, the traditional custodians of the land, waterways, and skies across Adelaide. We thank them for caring and sharing uh, the land on which we are able to share our experiences. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and we share our friendship and our kindness. And also, as usual, thank you so much to Chris for editing all this. And don't forget to subscribe to the Al Dente podcast through Spotify and Apple Music. Okay, bye. Okay. Bye.